In the 1950s, an educational theorist named Benjamin Bloom proposed a significant concept that completely changed the way we think about education. If you're an educator, you may be familiar with Bloom's taxonomy. Well, as part of his theory, Bloom suggested that learning happens across three different domains. The cognitive domain is probably the one most of us associate with learning. It's all about the head, knowledge, facts, and concepts. But there were two more that Bloom said were just as important. The affective domain, as he called it, had to do with the heart. It was about emotions and affections. And finally, the behavioral domain was about the hands and feet. You see, people learn by doing, by action. Transformative learning, the kind that changes a person. It happens when all three of these domains are included in the learning process. Now, most of us have had teachers that were bad at this along the way. But maybe you were lucky enough to have one of those rare teachers in your life that taught in a way that transformed their students. That's the kind of teacher we're going to talk about today. You see, Jesus, well, he was the master teacher. Now, the Bible often uses the word disciple when it talks about learning. Teachers had disciples or followers, and the teachers were responsible for training up their disciples in their ways. That's where we get the word discipleship uh, that we throw around in church so much today. And it's something every Christian is called to do. We're commanded by Scripture to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and we're commanded to be a disciple maker. For all of us, no one is excluded. We are both disciples and disciplers. The question isn't whether or not we are a disciple. Everyone follows something. The question is, what are we following? Are we on the right path? And the same is true of being a discipler. We are teaching people in our life to follow something. But the question is, what are we teaching them to follow? At its best, discipleship is transformative. In chapter 8 of Mark's Gospel, we get a glimpse into the ways into which Jesus discipled his followers. In this passage, it gives us a very important lesson. So the main idea is this. Biblical discipleship is being on Christ's mission and taking others with you. Concerning discipleship, there are two big categories I want us to look at in this passage. The first is the manner of discipleship, or the way that it happens. And the second is the content of discipleship. So let's turn first to the manner of discipleship. The scene begins in verse 27 as Jesus and his disciples are on the road to another city. Um, the word of the Lord in Mark 8, 27, it says this, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, well, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. Now this exchange takes place along the road on the way to accomplish Jesus' mission. You may ask, well, how do we know that's what they were going to do? You see, Jesus had a very clear purpose for why he was sent by God the Father. In fact, Mark points it out at the beginning of this gospel. In the very first chapter, uh, Mark writes this. He writes, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And then he summarizes Jesus' message and quotes him. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And if this wasn't clear enough, at the end of that chapter, Mark quotes Jesus again saying this, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. So according to Mark, Jesus came to accomplish a clear mission. He came to inaugurate or initiate the kingdom of God through his death, burial, and resurrection and he came to announce the good news of this kingdom. This little fact that Jesus' teaching happens along the road, well, it can't be overlooked. It's really significant. In fact, it's a pretty safe bet to say that all of Jesus' discipleship can be characterized this way. 
His instruction of his followers happened along the road from town to town in the midst of announcing the gospel, healings, casting out demons, and all that came along the way. You see, Jesus was busy with his mission. He was committed to his mission, and he accomplished that mission perfectly. But he never did it alone. It was as important to Jesus that he teach his disciples how to do his mission as it was that he did it himself. Of course, there were aspects of Jesus' mission that were unique to him that only he could accomplish. He points that out in this passage. He is the only divine son of God. Only he could serve as a perfect sacrifice for humanity's sins. Only he could bear the punishment and wrath of God the Father against the evil of sin in the world. Only he could walk out of that tomb. But the piece of the mission that we're about in this passage, uh, well, that was the mission to announce the good news of the kingdom. That was the aspect of Jesus' mission that he had every intention of passing on to his disciples. And he was as keen on teaching them what he was doing as doing it himself. Jesus didn't do his ministry alone. Too often, we reduce discipleship to a classroom exercise or a coffee shop conversation of some kind. While these things can certainly fall under the umbrella of discipleship, the picture of Jesus' discipleship ministry is one filled with questions and training that was done along the way, on their way to the next event. By doing ministry in front of his disciples, real topics came up naturally. The lessons, they played out in plain sight. Furthermore, taking others along on mission with you, it produces opportunities for you to model and for them to practice. Too often, we divorce discipleship, a time when we learn, from missions, a time when we do. How often do we think of evangelism or prayer in these terms? What if, instead of sitting in a class to learn about evangelism, we actually went out with others to evangelize, to watch them and have them watch us? What if, instead of learning about prayer by reading a book, we learned by praying alongside others further along in their faith journey? Jesus was committed to his mission. He accomplished it perfectly, but he never did it alone. He was the master discipler. Uh, now that we've established the manner of his discipleship, let's look at the meat or the content. You see, along the road, Jesus starts up a conversation with a simple question. He says, who do people say that I am? Now, it's an important question. It's a question that has concrete answers. It deals with knowledge. It, at its root, is a cognitive exercise. Jesus begins this teaching moment by engaging his disciples' knowledge on how the world views him. It's fact-based. Uh, and the disciples, they're quick to respond. Biblical discipleship involves the head. Testing knowledge is an important part of the process. Our books and our classrooms, well, they're not bad, they're good. They're helpful, they provide an important piece of discipleship. In this instance, Jesus is having disciples process a worldview question. It's also a question about a truth claim, and Jesus is going to use it to build a comparison. I want us to see more than the example the question provides too. I actually want us to look at the question itself. You see, with this question, Jesus is instructing his disciples in something very important. They need to know about the people around them. Who do people say that I am? Jesus expects his followers to know enough about those they would encounter that they can answer this question. With this question, Jesus is telling his disciples, you need to understand what people believe about me, even the wrong things, especially the wrong things. How are we ever to accomplish our mission of announcing the good news of Jesus, who he is and what he has done, if we don't also understand the misunderstandings of those with whom we're supposed to share? We are supposed to be students of our culture, but let's get more specific. Students of our neighborhood, our workplace, our gym, and the people that live, work, and play there. Can you answer that question about your neighbors? Who do your neighbors say 
that Jesus is. So Jesus engages the head of his disciples. However, he does not stop with this descriptive study of culture on the topic of his identity. Uh, Let's look at verse 29. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. Biblical discipleship, it involves the head, but it also involves the heart. But who do you say that I am? You see, this question, it weds the head and the heart. Jesus' true identity is not up for debate. It's a matter of fact. But belief, it presses past fact and becomes a conviction of the heart. You see, Jesus makes it personal. His lesson, it pushes past the cognitive to the effective. He's not just satisfied engaging brains. Jesus wants their hearts. By doing so, Jesus accomplishes two very important things. First, he forces the question to impact the lives of his disciples. Too often, disciples make little room in their lives for these kind of lessons. This is not enough. More is required of the disciple. The word must make its way into our hearts. Secondly, Jesus is able to draw a significant contrast between what the world says about him and the truth claim claim that came out of Peter's mouth. Now, of course, the passage is famous because Peter, who usually sticks his foot in his mouth, answers correctly. He declares that Jesus is more than a teacher. He's more than a scholar. He's more than a leader. That He's the Messiah. Now, that word had more significance to a first-century Jew than any of us today could imagine. It was a big claim. It was a belief statement, and it was the right one. By zeroing in on the effective nature of this lesson, Jesus discovers the heart of his disciples. He discovers not only what they think they should believe, but what they actually believe. And you see, this opens the way for him to begin teaching them the things that would happen concerning his mission, the pieces of his mission that only he could do. He began to teach about his suffering, his rejection, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, Let's look at verse 31. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, to be killed and rise in three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about God's concerns but human concerns. Well, now, of course, Peter sticks his foot right back in his mouth when Jesus' first lesson on these things proves more than they can grasp at the time. But Peter's blunder, it sets the stage for another level of discipleship. Remember, Jesus is the master discipler. He's after transformation. He's not just teaching facts or creating emotions and conviction. He's after changed lives. Biblical discipleship involves the head, it involves the heart, but it also involves the hands and feet. Let's pick up in verse 34. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus gathers his disciples along with the rest of the crowd and calls for more than cognitive understanding. He even calls for more than feelings. He calls for active obedience. This moment is a beautiful example of full-orbed discipleship. In front of his disciples, Jesus delivers the gospel to onlookers and reminds his followers of the importance of obedience. After instructing his disciples in the events that were to come, he provides a fresh call to follow the path. 
His words should land heavy on us, just as they did then. Being a follower or disciple requires more than knowing and feeling. It requires walking in the path of the one you follow. And in the case of Jesus' disciples, that path led up the road of crucifixion. We've already talked about how Jesus was the only one that could die on that cross and actually accomplish our redemption. But where he carried a physical cross, his own instrument of execution, he tells his followers that they too will have a cross to bear, an instrument of their own death to self. Where he died physically for sin, they would die spiritually to sin. Where he sacrificed by ending his life, they would sacrifice by living theirs in service to continuing his mission and announcing the good news of what he was to accomplish. All of us who have crossed that line of faith are both disciples and disciplers. We have a mission to accomplish and a call to take others with us. Disciples and disciplers. First, being a disciple means following Jesus by walking the path that he walked after him. It's doing what he did. Transformative discipleship, it involves the head and the heart, but it also involves the hand and the feet. So here's some questions God would, would have us consider. Are you walking the same path as Jesus? Jesus challenges his real disciples, take up your cross and follow me. Well, what did he do? He came to announce the good news of the kingdom and then purchase that good news with his own blood. Following after him means announcing that good news to anyone who will listen. It means walking in the manner that he walked. It means dying to self. Have you announced the good news of King Jesus lately? Is the mission of Christ more important to you than your own plans? If you say it is, what steps are you taking in active obedience to prove that that's true? If not, then you're not walking the path Jesus walked. Second, being a discipler means that we must take others along with us. Who are you taking along with you? You don't have to be a professional to be a discipler. We're all on the path. We don't arrive at some magic place in our spiritual journey and then start making disciples. The moment we choose the path, we should begin inviting others to follow. And we're usually only a few steps in front of them. You should have names of people you're taking down that path with you. Who in our church? Who in your family? Who among your friends or coworkers? Who among the lost? Those that haven't crossed the line of faith? Well, and some of you may not have crossed that line of faith yet. Well, my encouragement to you, consider Christ himself. Consider the good news of Jesus. Everyone walks a path, but all paths are not equal. I urge you, follow in the steps of Jesus. His word, he offers this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You see, the path of Jesus is one of extreme sacrifice. We take up our cross, but there is no other path that offers true peace and rest for your soul. The original audience of Jesus's lesson here, it was a small group of 12 ordinary men, but Jesus changed their lives. They didn't just learn a bunch of facts or parrot some beliefs they thought they were supposed to agree with. They dropped everything they had to follow Christ wherever it led. And several of them, well, it led to persecution, even death. But in the 30 years after Jesus gave this lesson, these men had spread the gospel all over the Mediterranean. Jesus' words to us today are the same. Take up your cross and follow me.